Bible. Glad you're here. I'm Josh and one of the pastors here. And as Pastor Dave mentioned, I am. I'm a huge Iowa State fan. And so I think I got, I think I might have more people rooting for Iowa State this time than maybe ever before. But I went to Iowa State and then Moody Bible Institute. And uh, by God's grace, he led me out here to Indiana and Notre Dame country. Yeah? No? Okay. We'll get. Well, hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. And one of the other things Pastor Dave mentioned, I would would just like to draw to your attention again. Hey, Christmas Eve is coming up in about 10 days. And uh, what a great opportunity for you just to invite a friend, to invite a loved one. Maybe you have family coming in uh, for Christmas and would love for you to just to bring the whole family. Six o'clock, we'll be out of here within an hour and uh, there'll be coffee and cookies you can hang out, but hope to see you that evening. And part of your plans for Christmas to join us this year. Well, uh, as a church family, we've been uh, studying and uh, working through Luke's account of the Christmas story. And particularly, we've uh, been looking at places where angels show up. Those are kind of the passages we've been focusing on this year is those where the angels show up in the Christmas story and they play a pretty significant role. Um, a couple weeks ago, we saw uh, Gabriel show up to Zechariah in the temple and announce to him that he and his wife, who was the, both of them older and, and had no children, they were going to give birth to a son. And this son was going to be a one who was talked about in the Old Testament, the, John the baptizer. He'd prepare the way for the Messiah. And then also, uh, uh, six months later, Gabriel shows up to a young teenage girl named Mary. Mary's betrothed to a guy named Joseph, but as yet their, their uh, consummation of their marriage hasn't happened. And so uh, Gabriel announces to her, Mary, you are, are favored among all women and uh, God is going to give you a, a son and he's going to be the savior of the world. It's going to be God in the flesh, the Messiah, the one who's been promised to save everyone for since the beginning of time, really, since Genesis 3. It, it, your son is going to be that one. Well, today we're going to see another angel show up, and uh, likely it is Gabriel again, though we're not told specifically, and then a whole group of angels with him. Uh, but each week as we've been uh, launching into the text, we've spent a little bit of time just talking about the nature 
of angels. Who are they? What do they do? And, and we've looked at a handful of things. We've kind of added to our list a little bit each week. We talked about the fact that uh, they're created. They're created beings, just like you and I. And uh, we're unsure exactly when they're created. Evidently, God didn't think that was important for us to know. But at some point, uh, early in Genesis, or just before Genesis 1, potentially, we don't know when they were created exactly. But they are created beings, and they're personal beings. They have names. They're, they're moral creatures. They're intelligent. They're also incredibly powerful. And in their power, though they have great power, they're not God. They're not to be worshipped or, or even to be sought out, I don't believe. Uh, but they are created beings. They're not God. There's rank and file among the angels. We're going to see that again this morning. And then last Sunday, we talked a little bit about the fact that angels kind of serve as an example to us because angels, when they obey God, they do it immediately. They do it without question. They do it joyfully. And when they worship, when they're around the throne in Revelation worshiping, and even this morning, we're going to see that again, they worship with passion, right? That's a great example to us, isn't it? To, to be immediately obedient to God, to, to follow him without question. And then when it comes time to worship him and to sing his praises, to do it with passion. I have a feeling the angels aren't just kind of droning on, holy, holy, holy. You know, it's not like, it's not like that. It's like, man, they're, they're shouting it. They're excited. They're passionate. What a great example to us. Now, when you think of the angels being examples to us, one thing that might come to mind is, well, didn't you mention that uh, Satan and demons are actually angels who've rebelled against God and who have fallen? How's that an example to us? Well, it, it is true. The, the Bible teaches uh, not a lot about this fact, but it does mention that Satan was once the angel named Lucifer and he rebelled against God and he fell from heaven and a third of all the angels fell with him. And the Bible speaks of it in metaphorical language at times, talking about a third of the stars falling from heaven, the messengers falling from heaven. But when you think about it, uh, even these fallen angels in some way are an example to us. They're an example to us in that they remind us of, of God's uh, abhorrence of sin, of, of the penalty of his justice, of his wrath that's rightly deserved for those who don't trust Jesus. Because in fact, if we fail to turn to Jesus, we're gonna join Satan and his demons, these fallen angels. Uh, Look at this in Matthew 25, Jesus says this. He'll he'll say to those on his left, depart, he's speaking of himself, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you know uh, that, that hell is actually a place prepared initially for Satan and the angels who have fallen with him. And that those who don't trust Jesus Christ, we are under God's wrath. We're children of God's wrath. We deserve his wrath. And we would face that same punishment for sin. So even they are an example to us, aren't they? But uh, while that's maybe a somber note, uh, let's continue in this morning, and we're going to see a little bit more about angels as we go, but first we're going to pray, and then we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, okay? And so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, you can, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the text together. Let's do that. 
Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him. Thank you, uh, even as we sang and as uh, Lucas and the team led, uh, God rest ye merry. That, that song just talks about how we ought to find our rest and our peace in you with merriness, with joy. So would you give us joy and peace this morning, Lord, in the fact that you've sent your son to, to be our redeemer, our savior, Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would uh, like nothing more than to just turn our hearts away from you, to confuse us by your word. But instead, would, would you speak truth to us, change us, even me, as I teach and preach your word? And might Jesus be made much of. We pray all of this through him. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we come to uh, sometimes what I call the, the peanuts portion of scripture. You know, on Peanuts, on the Christmas story and Charlie Brown, when Linus gets up, this is what he reads, right? Look look at this. I'm going to start a little before our passage this morning in Luke chapter two, verse one. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that and this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, uh, one of the things you read there, he went up from Galilee. When, when you look at a map and you think up, what do you think? North, right? Well, that's not really how it works in the Bible. In the Bible, when it says up, it literally means up because Galilee was north of Bethlehem. He traveled south, but he went up in elevation. Just a little thing for you to note as you read scripture. He went to Bethlehem because this was the, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So they had to go to their own town to be registered and and to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, which means she made a pretty long journey, fully pregnant. And, And not in a car, right? Like walking and on a donkey. And ladies, if if you've been a been privileged to be a mom, you're going, oh man, that would be a rough journey. And she gave birth there to her firstborn son, wrapped swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Well, we're gonna continue reading now in verse eight. And one of the things I want you to see right away here is that this message of, of Jesus' birth and of what he accomplishes is for everyone, no matter who you are no matter who you are. I mean, you're gonna see the angels in a moment appear to a handful of guys who were total outcasts. So no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, this is for you today, right? If you've been in church your whole life, this is for you. If today's like your first Sunday, this is for you. If, if you've been off out doing who knows what and you're like, I'm back to a church today, this is for you, and we're so glad you're here. Look at this in in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The the same region, well, remember Mary and uh, Joseph, they went to Bethlehem, so it's the region surrounding Bethlehem. That's where we're at. And the shepherds, we're gonna talk more in a moment about who they are, but one initial thought for you is Jesus is going to be called the good shepherd, right? And the first announcement of his birth is to shepherds. And they're keeping watch over their 
flock. Well, uh, there was this Jewish record of oral traditions that had been passed down called the Mishnah. And the reason I bring that up is that in the Mishnah, in these traditions, it was written that surrounding Jerusalem, there was kind of a radius around Jerusalem in which all of the flocks that were tended to by shepherds in that circumference, in that radius, uh, all of them were to be devoted to use uh, in the temple for sacrifice. Well, guess what? The area surrounding Bethlehem, it's only a few miles from Jerusalem and uh, that would have been in that radius. So it's, it's curious that the announcement of Jesus who's going to be the lamb of God is announced to these shepherds who are caring for lambs who would be sacrificed for sin. And now the announcement coming of the ultimate lamb of God who would be sacrificed once and all, once for all for sin. Well, uh, they're keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now we're not told which angel this is. The name isn't mentioned here, but the language that Luke uses to write this and describe this account is really consistent with the way he described Gabriel in chapter one. And so most translators would, would, would contend and guys who can look at the Greek and study that, they would say, you know what? The language used here, it's probably Gabriel again. And Luke just doesn't mention his name again because he already has twice and he uses the same exact language to describe him. We don't know that for sure, but I would, I would tend to lean that way. And like everyone else who's seen Gabriel, when they see this angel, they were filled with great fear. And then the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, remember, pay attention, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's the same response that Gabriel had to Mary and to Zechariah. He said, just don't fear. I'm coming with a message for you from God. And, and, and this is a message to you. If you have the NIV, your, your text actually says, reads, I bring to you good news. The angel is coming to these shepherds and it's gonna be good news, not just to them right now, but ultimately for who? For all people. See friends, the, the gospel, this good news of Jesus being born at Christmas and then the life that he would live, death that he would die, his resurrection, it's good news not just for these shepherds and not just for people who are in there, it's good news for everyone. Do you get that? It's good news for everyone. Jesus' life offers salvation to everyone. The good news that Jesus would save us, would fix the mess that we've created and give us new life eternally. That, that's, that's good news for everyone because the last I checked, everyone I've ever met is messed up in some way, shape or form. You fall into that category too? Yeah, but Jesus comes to redeem us and fix us. And that's good news for everyone and for anyone. In fact, uh, Paul writes to Titus, he says, for the grace of God has appeared. Well, it's in Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. And he writes to Timothy that he desires all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, Jesus' offer of salvation and life is for everyone. If you think, oh, I don't know if that's for me. No, no, it's for all people. It's for everyone. In fact, uh, let's just talk about the shepherds because not only is it for everyone, but uh, sometimes we tend to think that the gospel or, or, or God or, or studies, it's only for the people who've got it all together. You ever feel that way? 
I think that's a lie that Satan loves to tell us. You're not good enough. Why don't you just go get your junk together and then maybe go hang out with those people? I don't know. The, the gospel is for especially those who don't have their stuff together. In, in fact, let's talk about these shepherds for a moment. Their part in the life of Jesus is, is pretty phenomenal. And I wonder, how did they feel when the angels told them about Jesus' birth? Now, I should tell you a few things about the shepherds. I mean, they would have been awestruck for sure, right? Uh, but they were pretty shocked, I'm sure, to be chosen. See, we haven't even got to that point yet, but in a moment, uh, I mean, Gabriel showed up and then the whole heavenly host is gonna show up to them. They would have been shocked, kind of like Mary was. Me? Why are you coming to us? See, I mean, they were fairly low on the social scale. Even though they guarded the main resource of the town's economy, these sheep. On the, in terms of, of the social scale, they were down at the bottom. They were perhaps, uh, probably even, I would say, not very well known for their social skills. I mean, they spent a lot of time out in the field, alone, with animals. You know, you don't, you don't think like high extrovert when you think shepherd out in the field, do you? They were by themselves for long periods of time. Human interaction seldom occurred for many of them. And the appearance of angels announcing a birth would be shocking enough, but they must have wondered, what significance do they have in the inclusion of this announcement? I did some reading this week. Nomadic shepherds who were separated from human communities and culture for long periods of time were often the subject of, of scorn and of suspicion. Uh, there's writing about them that accused them of failing to observe the difference between mine and thine. In other words, they were... They were thieves too. They were swindlers. They, they could prey on lonely travelers. They were often suspected of practicing the craft of robbers. These are all from writings around that time. They prolonged their prolonged absences, their ill repute. It disqualified them from ever serving as a witness publicly in trial. I mean, they were total outcasts. A third century rabbi was writing about uh, Psalm 23. You know, the, you remember Psalm, you know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my what? My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And here's what he says. He goes, there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of a shepherd. Along with gamblers and tax collectors, herdsmen were regularly listed among the despised trades in Jewish writings until Jesus comes along and declares himself to be the good shepherd. Then all of a sudden there's this flip. But up to that point, I mean, these guys were outcasts. And there's also some good potential. Not only are they outcasts and, you know, they, they don't measure up in society. They aren't even acceptable as, as witnesses at a trial or, or legally in any way. Chances are they were also probably pretty young, and why do I say that? Well, because they're the guys keeping watch when? At night. If this was a herd owned maybe by a family, remember David back in Samuel? David was the youngest of, of all those that Samuel goes to, the sons of Jesse, that God says, one of the sons of Jesse is gonna be the next king. And so Jesse doesn't even bring in David, the youngest, because he's out in the field as a shepherd. And nobody's gonna want the shepherd boy. It's gotta be one of these other ones who's gonna be the king, right? And then Samuel's like, nope, he's not here. David comes in, that's the one. The outcast is gonna be king. 
And it's likely then if they're watching, and, and again, this is, this is speculation. We don't know this for sure, so take it for what it's worth, but it's, it's good to think about, I think. Chances are these guys are young, like teenagers, maybe middle schoolers. I mentioned earlier that Luke 2 is kind of the passage from Charlie Brown, right, that gets read. Well, if you think about it, if that's true, if these guys are young, we don't know for sure, but if it is true, uh, then the, the, if you have a Peanuts nativity at home, that's probably more accurate in terms of age than the nativity that most of us have of the old guys with, you know, robes and staffs. <laughs> Bunch of young kids that God shows up to. Mary and Joseph were teenagers. Well, the shepherds, all of that to say, they're incredibly unlikely recipients of this message. Why? Well, it's, it's another way of, I think, of God just telling us, listen, this, this good news, it, it doesn't matter who you are. No matter who you are, it's for everyone. I wonder, do you ever feel, rightly or wrongly, um, like you're a bit of an outcast among others? Have you ever felt that? in your heart, in your spirit? Have you ever felt um, others, maybe they have, maybe you've just uh, wrongly perceived it, that they've looked down upon you? Do you ever just feel unnoticed? That's the shepherds. That's the shepherds. And God makes a point to come directly to them. When? First. And that's the pattern of Jesus all throughout the Bible. God goes to those who most unlikely are gonna be recipients, those who most need it. See, the gospel's for you, friend. Luke 5, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of, physician, of a physician, but those who are sick. I, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, no matter who you are, Jesus' birth is good news. Now, no matter who you are, Jesus' birth is good news. You, you may be the outcast. You may be uh, at the top of the social ladder, and this is still good news for you. You still need this good news. See, uh, the gospel is the word used for good news. It just literally means good news, good news. And what is that good news? Well, it's that you've been saved from sin, from God's wrath. But you know, it's not just that because if you're saved from something, you're also saved to something. So what are you saved to? Well, you're saved to a life of joy and of abundance and of good works and of righteousness. You're saved from wrath to life. See, look at verse 11. And by the way, it's also good news because it's all God's grace. You, you can't do it. And by the way, because you, uh, I believe this very strongly, because God's grace is a gift to you and you did nothing to earn it, I believe if you've truly received it in Jesus Christ, there's also nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from it because you never deserved it to begin with. Verse 11, as we keep reading, uh, the angel says to them, he says, unto you, remember it's for everyone, these shepherd boys, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now notice that they might've been expecting him to say a savior, that, that literally means the Messiah, the Lord. They might've been expecting him to say 
the Messiah of the Lord, but that's not what the angel says. The angel says, the Messiah, the Lord, who is the Lord. This Messiah, this is God in the flesh who's been born. And he's a savior. He's a savior. See, only Jesus is able to save. There's one name under heaven by which you must be saved, we read in Acts. And it's only Jesus. And, and something curious, just historically, as you, if you would study some of these things, back at this time, Caesar Augustus would repeatedly promote himself, the, the emperor, he'd repeatedly promote himself as the savior of all mankind as the one who was going to bring peace to people. In fact, there's, there's a whole list of writings that uh, talk about him declaring himself as the savior. And so Luke's use of savior here is kind of a social commentary saying, um, nope, it ain't Caesar. It's this baby. He's the savior. Be leery of any leader who ever declares themselves to be the savior, the anointed one. There's only one, Jesus Christ, Amen. He's the savior. And, and the New Testament, the gospels, they, they don't use that term savior actually very often. And likely uh, maybe because of that dynamic socially of the emperor always calling him, Caesar always calling himself savior. But when they do, it's kind of a, hey, pay attention here because there's probably something socially that we don't think about going on. But it's only God's son who can save, not Caesar, not anything else, not your good works, not all of your accomplishments. It's, it's Jesus. In fact, his name is the Greek translation of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. See, we've seen, John writes in John, 1 John 4, we have seen and testified the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to, to save us, right? Well, as we keep reading this savior, he goes, and by the way, this will be, he says to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. I think it's funny that Zechariah and Mary, remember their accounts with Gabriel? They had some questions for him, right? They, uh, Zechariah doubted, uh, Mary just wanted some clarification. And then he gave a sign to them. The shepherds don't get a, don't, don't get a chance, at least in the text to ask their questions. He's just like, and here's a sign before you bring your questions, here's a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The manger was the feed trough that the animals ate out of. It's likely in a cave where the animals were kept, but Jesus was, there was no place to lay him down. So they laid him in the feed trough. I wonder, moms, how many of you, you got like your bassinet, big R next to the chicken feed? Anybody? Like that's Jesus' bassinet, right? It's the manger that he gets laid down in. Total humble arrival. We see that he's the savior. We see that he brings protection. God offers protection to those who would trust in Christ. See, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now, a, a couple other things here about angels when we, we look at this, this multitude of the heavenly host appearing suddenly. You think about it, you're a, you're a shepherd, you're out there, you're used to... Um, you know, animals coming, just uninvited guests showing up in the middle of the night and being able to fend them off for the sake of the sheep, but they're afraid when they see the angel. And then when the whole sky lights up, the heavenly host of angels, 
it's a good reminder that um, the unseen world is very real. Now, it's not something for us to obsess over and think too much about, but it's also not something for us to ignore. Like, like there is a battle going on spiritually for our souls, for God's glory. And it's not to be ignored. It's also not to be obsessed over to where that's like the only thing we think about and we're seeking these things out. That's, that's dangerous too. But there truly is a spiritual reality to our world, whether you would acknowledge it or not. And, and we should be, I think, aware of angels. Hebrews 12, 22 through 23 makes it clear that the angels worship God along with us. Also, we about um, sometimes uh, we, we should help people because you never know, you might actually entertain an angel unaware because they, they want to know what's going on. How, I, remember Satan and his angels, they fell. Well, God didn't offer any redemption for them. But for mankind, for humanity, he does in Jesus Christ. So they're really curious. And Peter says, these are the things the angels long to look into, to watch us and to see how is God redeeming us? How is God saving these people? What is he doing? And it's a very real reality. And uh, the shepherds get a glimpse into this reality and they see a heavenly host of angels. Literally, that means a regimented army and like a great multitude of the heavenly host. There, there's tons of them, like too many to count. Would, would that freak you out just a little bit? You walk outside tonight and the sky lights up and a bunch of angels shouting or singing, glory to God in the highest. I, I'd tremble just a little bit. Well, remember, this is real. You know, this, this reminds me of actually a scene in the Old Testament where we see God's angels show up as well. You familiar with the story of Elisha? In 2 Kings, uh, let's set up the story for you here. The king of Aram, an area north of Israel, was uh, gonna wage war against Israel, 2 Kings chapter six. And what he would do is he would decide, uh, I'm gonna go set up my camp over here. Only what would happen, and you know, be some kind of a surprise attack on the king of Israel. But what ha- what would happen is, uh, he would get there, and the king was prepared and ready for them. Well, why? Well, because uh, God revealed the king of Aram's plans to this guy Elisha, to a prophet, and Elisha would tell it to the king of Israel. Well, finally, the king of Aram uh, brings in all of his leaders because he can't figure out what's going on. He's like hey, which one of you guys is actually for the king of Israel? Who's telling him my plans? Because we should have had him by now. But every time we get to the, he's prepared. Who is it? And one of his officers speaks up and he says, king, king, we're all on your side. The problem is there's this prophet, Elisha, and he hears the words you utter in your bedroom. And then he tells them to the king of Israel. Like God reveals these things to him. And so the king of Aram is like, okay, well, then we need to take out Elisha. He's our first target. So they figure out where he's at in this town called Dothan and they surround the town. And uh, a pickup in the text here in Second Kings chapter six, when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, a boy, uh, likely a young boy anyway, rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. The king of Aram's army, his whole strong army went. And the servant said, alas, master, Elisha, what should we do? He's got us surrounded. Elisha looks at him, he says, don't be afraid. 
those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We're protected. Don't sweat it. Now, if you're that kid, you're that young servant, what are you thinking? Dude, it's just us two. What are you talking about? It's like a whole army. And so then Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain. I mean, this is a mountainous area, right? So just think big hills all the way around, not not at all like this part of Indiana. All around, he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I don't think that's very much at all unlike what the shepherds saw that night when suddenly God reveals to them the heavenly host praising God. And I I would imagine for those of them who knew this story, maybe their mind went right back to that story and remembered how God protects them and cares for them and cares about them. See, suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. By the way, just back to, to Second Kings, you know, Elisha said, those who are with us are more than the army. Jesus said, um, and John said that he who is in you, speaking of Jesus and his spirit, he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. And Jesus told us that. We're protected as his children. It's good, it's good news, isn't it? For everyone, it's good news what Jesus accomplishes. And not only does he protect us, he gives us peace. See, look what the heavenly host is praising God saying. This isn't an army who's deployed to declare war. This is an army who's deployed for peace. Glory to God in the highest. And we don't know, are they saying it? Are they shouting it? Are they singing it? A lot of speculation that they're singing. The Bible doesn't actually say that, but there's a good possibility they're singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is ple- with whom he is pleased. Maybe you remember hearing this uh, said, peace on whom his favor rests. Notice it's peace to those with whom God is pleased. Well, who is God pleased with? Well, the only way you find God's favor is in Jesus Christ, his grace, his, his love. Apart from Jesus, I deserve his wrath. Apart from Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm pretty jacked up. And, and he would look upon me as myself and not be pleased at all. But in Jesus Christ, I'm veiled in Jesus Christ. I'm made new. I'm made clean. I have a new identity. He, he sees me with the same joy and love and with, with pleasure like he looks at his own son. And that's how it is for you if you would trust Jesus. So you, do you want this peace? I mean, trust in this one who was born at Christmas. He offers peace to us. Ephesians 2, Paul says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who's made us both one, us and God. He's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, in other words, for our sin. And all you have to do is believe God's word. See, and the, the shepherds here are a good example of that. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, they, they believed what they had said, because look, look what they said. 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They took the words of these messengers. Angel just means messenger, by the way. Do you know that? He, he took the words of these messengers as the word of God himself. Like God delivered a message through them and they believed it. See, God calls us to believe, friends. Jesus, Jesus told uh, told some that the work of God that he requires is you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, you believe in me, Jesus said. John writes in 1 John 3, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's believing his word. You wanna be one with whom God is pleased? Believe on Jesus. He saves you from your sin. He saves you to new life. You're like, Josh, why do you keep talking about that? Because that's like the, that's the only thing that matters, man. It's hope for everyone, no matter who you are, it's good news. So they went, the angels went, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, one, it's a pretty fantastical message to hear. Two, I wonder if they just wondered because of the messengers. Remember, they're outcasts. Maybe they're like junior high age boys. I mean, uh, you, got any, you got, any, got any teenagers at home? How about, how about if they run inside from being playing outside in the field and they're like, mom, I saw an angel. Really? Great. You got quite the imagination, son. But in any case, they, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, look at Mary. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Parents, you get this, you treasure what you can of your kids when they're young. Mary gets to treasure prophecy about her son. But friends, no matter who you are, Jesus' birth is good news and it's your only hope for lasting joy, for lasting joy. See, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Jesus is my only hope. Do you know that? And he's your only hope. Jesus said uh, in John 14, verse six, I didn't get the reference quite right on your insert. It should say verse six, but he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, singular. No one comes to the father, but through. He's, our, he's our only hope. And he offers real life, lasting joy. Christmas in our world is so much just about like the here and now, like, here's what I want. I want this toy, this toy, that thing, that thing. You experience that ever? And it's called joy and happiness and except it's fleeting. You know, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on your happenings and it's fleeting, it's circumstantial. But joy, joy is rooted in truth and it's eternal. And you can, it's hard to be happy when all of my world's falling apart, but it's possible to have joy when everything's falling apart. Why? Because my joy isn't rooted in the here and now, it's rooted in Jesus and what he's done and in what he will do. Life is hard. Jesus offers lasting joy, not the fleeting joy of this life or happiness of this life. 
And Christmas can be a time of, of temporal happiness for a lot of us, but it can also be a time of incredible sorrow for a lot of us. It's a really hard time of year. If you struggle with some of those things, maybe you've lost somebody, maybe you just struggle in general. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to come on Wednesday night. We're just gonna acknowledge that and spend some time praying and singing and looking at God's word together. I think it'll be a comfort to you. I know it is to me. I'd encourage you to come. But, but here's the deal. Just because you might feel sorrow this time of year, the, the, truth, the truth of the matter is, I pray you'll hear this, even if it's hard to hear, that the truth is that in Jesus, there's joy and there's restoration and there's life. Even in the midst of loss, of sorrow, listen, he, he's got those things. He's overcome those things. Peter tells us to cast all our anxieties, all of our hurts, everything upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. It's real life. It's true joy. And, and after leaving God's presence, we should leave like the shepherds did. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Friends, no matter who you are, Jesus' birth is really good news. And he is your only hope. He is my only hope for lasting joy. Amen. Let me pray. Then we're going to sing about this and we're going to call it a morning. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Um, Lord, it, it can sound so cliche sometimes to say it in our, in our culture that is so overrun with uh, Christmas kind of thrown up. It. But the reality is, Jesus, that you bring joy to the world and that, that you are our hope, both in, in saving us from our sin and in saving us to real, true life. Father, I pray for those of us who've trusted you, might, might you remind us of that life, help us to live that out. For those who've never trusted you, Jesus, who hear my voice right now, uh, today might even be the day that they would turn and believe upon your son, Jesus, and become a Christian, that they receive that great gift that you offer them. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.